Hello, and welcome to the Explore the Symphony podcast with Jean-Jacques Van Blasler, coming to you from Studio P3 of Canada's National Arts Centre in Ottawa. My name is Marjolaine Fournier, I'm your host, and I'm assistant principal bass with the National Arts Centre Orchestra. This year's theme is the Piano Concerto, and today's podcast will examine Chopin's first piano concerto in E minor. Jean-Jacques. Yes, Marjolaine. Chopin. <laughs> you oh. can't talk about the piano without talking about Chopin. Oh, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And I think he is one of the great links in the transformation of the piano uh, from the time of Haydn to uh, who was the first one who kind of used the, uh, the, the piano the way we kind of know it today, not really, but where it started from the classical period to, to, to the day, to the modern piano. So he will be the one who will be, will be creating that full sound, that beautiful sound in the romantic time, which is the romantic uh, style piano. And uh, and uh, so he's one of the elements, I must say. He's one of the elements, but he's a very important element. The other one, who is a person who was born the same year he did. And so that is very interesting. 1810. 1810, he and uh, no, the other one was born one year later, 1811, Franz Liszt. And so Franz Liszt will also uh, develop the form and the, the the forms, the new forms of writing and the new sounds that go with it for the, for the, for the piano, but in a different direction than Chopin will do. So you will have uh, Franz Liszt opening up to the proliferation of themes or of, of motives, and that will be cre creating very much and very far ahead contemporary music writing for the piano, because there was still contemporary music writing for the piano, although the instrument is not necessarily the first instrument anymore today. It was the first instrument, of course, in the 19th century. This is the instrument, and I think we should, we should say this uh, in, uh, when we talk about Chopin and Franz Liszt. But uh, that is uh, Franz Liszt. But then, uh, on the other hand, you have Chopin, and Chopin, uh, especially in some of his works, like the Etudes, which, by the way, <laughs> he has two books of. One book was dedicated to Franz Liszt, and the other one, the second one, the Opus 25, is dedicated to Franz Liszt's mistress of that time and the mother of, three, of, of his three children, of the three official children he had. And, uh, and, that, is, and uh, that is the second part, uh, Marie Dagou, Countess Marie Dagou. Now, in those etudes, essentially, he creates uh, the sounds, the harmonies, which will be picked up by somebody like Debussy. And so you have that second uh, straight uh, uh, it, uh, uh, movement into the, the, the 20, uh, 19th century, going from Chopin to Debussy and ultimately to somebody like Messiaen. And the missing link between uh, Messiaen and, and Debussy is the Russian mystical uh, pianist um, Skriabin.
So you have Chopin, Debussy, Scriabin, Messiaen. And I think this is very important to say because when people look at Chopin, oh yes, those nice little melodies, it goes much farther than that. And I think that's why he is an important element within the history of uh, music. I have a a fondness for Chopin's uh, uh, preludes. Are you saying that uh, uh, Debussy, when he wrote his preludes, was thinking back to the, the Chopin preludes? Absolutely. That is the other element. The etudes is one thing. The preludes is the, is the other element. You see, uh, he, will, he will write uh, 24 preludes. And, it, and that is, I think, um, a, the sum, uh, a poetical sum, a, t a poetical summum, the preludes. You know, they're very short. They're very precise. They're absolutely beautiful little signatures, each of them, in their great characterization, each of them. Very poetical. I, I absolutely love them, I must say. That and the etudes are, for me, two major moments in, in Chopin's writing. And, uh, and that also opens to impressionistic music. We come back, we have to come back to the concerto. Now, Chopin, I've heard many things about, uh, I was fortunate that the first time that I heard a Chopin concerto, I didn't know that uh, he was said to uh, be a bad orchestrator. <laughs> And so I've, I've read this, I've heard this. What is, what did he contribute to piano music with, with his concertos? Well, I, I, one has to see why he composed those concertos. Um, it, it is very early in, in, his, in, his, uh, in, in his youth, in fact. I mean, he's still, he's still in Warsaw. Um, he's 19, 20 years old, something like that, when he composes this E minor concerto. And, uh, you know, at 19, you're not necessarily totally ready. You know, the first, the first works by Mozart are not the last works by Mozart. So, so that is one thing. He composed them also to impress uh, the, the first of his great loves. Constanza Gladowska. You know, that is the second reason. And I, I don't think that he really was interested in, in, in uh, orchestra writing. Uh, let, let me say a few things about that. Uh, one, uh, uh, first, a, a, a positive element. One says the same thing about Sch Sch uh, Schumann, you know. One says the same thing. You know, they go, oh, his symphonies were well, a very bad orchestration. Wrong, wrong. You know, symphonies by Schumann are, are remarkable, very particular orchestrations, but, you know, we're not, we're not dealing with that. But, but on, the, on the other hand, I think most of the critics are right. This is very weak orchestration. This is very weak. You know, what, what does the orchestra do? It just sustains there. And he has not written many works. Uh, with orchestra, about four or five, you know, Krakowia, the two concertos, and one or two, uh, 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 the variations on Mozart's La Cittarem, La Mana, and that's, uh, that's, that's it. I mean, um, so, um, he, uh, he, he's not, not really interested in that. He's not interested in large works. You see, the man, for example, uh, religious works, big religious works. He loved Handel. He loved Mozart's religious works. Uh, he, as a 
very devout Catholic. Uh, he never composed any religious works. Theater. Did he compose theater works? No, not at and all. And he loved he, the opera also. He loved opera. But did yeah, he loved opera. He loved, yes, absolutely. Uh, like most of the people in the in the 19th century also. But he will he only composes one little work. You know, when he does that in his youth also. When he's searching, you know, when he's trying things out. And he will do it for the birthday of his father, who was Nicholas, for the Saint Nicholas. Uh, so, not the birthday, for the name day of his father. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and it's, a, it's a little work when, when, he's, uh, when he's a child. He's about 15, 16 when he does that. So, he, he will never compose anything more in theater. He will never compose anything more in religious music. And, and in fact, it's not only himself. It happens also with many of the great romantics. Now, the man who was born the same year he did is, uh, is, is Schumann. Uh, and so, uh, 1810. Now, Schumann, uh, operatic works, one, uh, a scenes for Faust, and no, nothing more. There's nothing more. Did Brahms, late in the century, when two other great guys are going for the opera, Verdi and Wagner, born three years later, 1813, both of the, uh, these men. Well, uh, uh, Brahms never composes anything for, 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 for the theater or for the opera either. You see, uh, it was very difficult for them. They, even they the guy, sorry about that, yes. but even the guy before them, Beethoven, mm -hmm. <laughs> one work, Very Fidelio. True. And is Fidelio a real opera? The second act is oratorio. <laughs> That's very so, true. But uh, Chopin, he, he liked very much, liked the, uh, he liked to play for small rooms. This is what yes. I, I understand. He liked the intimacy of small rooms. He didn't like the sound of a piano in a big room. Do, do you know that you're right? He he liked that, and and very often people have characterized him as a salon composer, which was a kind of very negative way of going at it. And I I think one should not. The, the, this salon composer is somebody uh, who who composes absolutely extraordinary individual personal works and and you know because salon is you know no, superficial stuff works and also complete works complete works little they they they're perfect poems most of them perfect poems um, like uh, schubert's leader you know these are perfect poems. There is a whole world in one lead by Schubert. There is a whole world in one of the works by, by Chopin. And, 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 uh, and, and of course, every note is in his plays. Every, every, every sound. But, and, 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 and every sound is, is, is a new creation also. He's, 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 he tries new things within those forms that were given. You're, you're talking a lot today about how he created a sound for the piano. I'm always curious as to the piano itself. You said he made the piano advance, you know? The writing for the piano, yes, absolutely. What about the instrument? Did he have the instrument tweaked? Did he have modifications done to the instrument? And, and uh, did he... He has playels delivered to him here, there, everywhere. Is this the instrument that, that will... That's what, that was, what I was going to say. You see, uh, Playel immediately saw the, 
the potential of this and of this of this pianist. And so Pleyel, the, the famous manufacturer of pianos, um, will follow him and will readjust the pianos that 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 he created. Um, it, it's not exactly the same thing with Franz Liszt, I think, but I do think that Franz Liszt did also. You know, these two these two careers are parallel, and that's why I have been talking about both of them. I mean, and and showing their their uh, projection within the 20th century on, on both sides. But both of these men have have been pushing the the technology forwards. By their creativity, they have been pushing the, 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 the technology of the piano forward. And that piano is, of course, already a different piano from Beethoven's. Beethoven's pianos are, uh, are, are with uh, uh, wooden elements in it. Here we're getting in the romantic piano, and that the romantic piano pre preparing the contemporary piano has uh, metal elements in it. And that, that, that changes, of course, the... Uh, the, uh, the the sound very much well uh, they uh, they uh, they will uh, they will also do quite some technological changes within the piano you know so that some of the, the the keys would go only halfway and then be able to come back very quickly and only parts of the sound you know so very low action very uh, the, 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 the the deep voice is getting much deeper yes and and the high notes are much uh, much uh, finer Mm. Much more refined, more and more. These are the oppositions, of course. And then, of course, those oppositions help, in turn, the pianist to express himself much better. Well, what is happening also in that, in a, at that moment, and what Chopin helped happening also, is that, you know, with Haydn, Haydn has piano concertos, but not many, one, two. Uh, something like that, something like that. And we don't remember them. They're almost not played because they don't say very much. Then comes Mozart, 27 piano concertos. 27 piano concertos, which are, in fact, a, a, a historical diary of Mozart's relationship with the world. And it's relationship with the world because the pianist and the and the, is the, the soloist and the soloist is the individual which is discussing, dialoguing with the orchestra, the orchestra which is society. And suddenly there is a new world coming out, out of that. And so Mozart has captured that absolutely and Beethoven goes further in that. But Beethoven will stop at five piano concertos. And, and uh, people have never answered the question, uh, why did he stop after five piano concertos? These were written in the, in the, in the, in the big period of his life. And I, I, when I prepared this Chopin uh, discussion with you, I said to myself, what happens? Beethoven is not only a, an immense figure, he is also a transition figure. And in the time of Beethoven getting older, um, you know, 1810, Beethoven has composed until the 5th, 6th, 7th symphony. Um, but the Beethoven of the last years will be the Beethoven who will confide himself, not in concertos anymore, he will confide himself in piano works, late sonatas, he will confide himself in string quartets, that's where you have the great Beethoven who is the man who is opening up the, 
the 19th and the 20th century. And so there, you, there and Chopin, uh, Chopin just follows there. He just follows. So he doesn't need the concertos anymore. We are trying to say why this concerto is not the greatest thing in the world. Mind you, the piano part of it is already great Chopin. <laughs> But it's not the greatest concerto. <laughs> right. Because a concerto is made of two elements. Ah, yeah. Yeah. However, you know, I've, I've, I've developed a taste for uh, all piano versions of things. Like a two-piano version of this concerto mm -hmm. would be interesting to would listen to. Would be very to. interesting to listen And to. And would, would it be what he, I think he performed it that way also. Yes, he must have performed it like that. I don't. I didn't look into that, but he must have performed it. Do you know that that Chopin? And you were right by saying that uh, not very long ago in our conversation that um, he didn't like the the big halls. He preferred uh, smaller environments. In fact, he has given in big halls something like uh, a uh, a dozen concerts. He, contrary to Franz Liszt who loved to run from one concert hall to another concert hall because, you know, he took himself as, you know, as the, re the, the, uh, the replacement for God, you know. That's why he became a priest afterwards. But the, uh, uh, the, the Chopin, uh, uh, Chopin didn't like those big concertos. Chopin was one of those musicians who would faint before he got in. He was so frightened. Of, of playing in front of the public. You know, something to, uh, to say, I mean, the, uh, about artists. I mean, you know, I, I, all my life I have been in, in touch with artists and people that have been, you know, have, have to come up and stand in front of 3,000 people. It is terrifying. It is terrifying to stand there. And some people are, are, are have a different make, a different approach to that. Well, Chopin was was one of those people. He could not. It was it was very hard thing for him to do. So when he was in a smaller environment, he he would say to himself, he would play for for himself, sitting there in that salon. He liked to improvise, apparently. He did, yes, yeah. he did. And he wrote quite some works you know, on improvisation also. Yeah. I only read one anecdote mm -hmm. about, uh, about the concerto. This concerto is not very much written about it, uh, many recordings. But one anecdote is uh, Claudio Arau, who says that his favorite, or one of his favorite times playing it was with Bruno Walter, uh, and that... Bruno Walter said, I would like to have with you three rehearsals. And now, from experience, you know, usually conductors, they don't, they don't cherish the time that they're going to spend on the concerto. It's, uh, you know, they... Perhaps Bruno Walter wanted to try to find out what he could make out of the orchestration. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, three rehearsals, apparently, uh, Arau was very happy. Yeah. So, uh, but that's all, that's all I can no. find. Well, I have another anecdote about that concerto, and it's not about today, it's about the time that it was presented. When, when um, Chopin came to Paris, you know, in, in, in very short, you know, he was born in 10, in, 19, in 1830, he, he would go to Paris, he would go, he would leave Poland, and it would be forever. 
He will never go back. He dies in 1849, and most of the time he spends in Paris in 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 a, in a most extraordinary environment. I must say, you know, it is, he he's surrounded by and I by a number of people which, uh, in the time of uh, um, of Louis Philippe, at, uh, that was the, the king in France. You know, there was a period. It was a kind of a conservative period. But you, you had people like Balzac, Chateaubriand, uh, Alfred de Vigny. Lamartine, Victor Hugo, Alfred de Musset, and special relationship with not his, but you know, one of his uh, girlfriends with uh, de Musset, uh, Théophile Gautier, um, uh, Stendhal, you know, the great writer Stendhal, Saint-Beuve, they, they were all there. And in painting, in Ingres, Vernet, and somebody who would become, until the very last day, one of his best friends, Delacroix, the great Delacroix. Can you tell us about the painting that he, that Delacroix made of Georges Saint and Chopin that that was cut in two? Have you heard of this? Well, I, I no, cut in two. Most yes. probably divorces are made like that. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, in one city, there is a portrait beautiful of Georges Saint. And, you know, we've kept it till the very end to speak of this woman. But uh, there it clearly is a portrait of her. And there is a portrait in another town of uh, Chopin. And they come actually from the same... The From same painting. Yes, and most probably that was cut in 1847 when they decided to split. Mind you, he, he's the one who stayed the longest with Georges Sand, mm -hmm. who, whose name was Aurore Dupin. She was, you know, was married to Baron Dudevant, I think, yes, but then divorced him very quickly, uh, took the name of her first lover, Jules Sandeau. His name was Jules Sandeau, so she took the first part. And, and of course, women, it was very difficult for women to be published at that time. Uh, we know the stories of Mendelssohn's sister, who, you know, who had to compose works and would put it under, under uh, Felix Mendelssohn's name and things like that. You know, a very, very difficult time for, for women all. And uh, so uh, she, she's a remarkable person, great writer, in fact, great writer, very representative of the, of the 19th century. But, but uh, she was a... Um, Um, a, a kind of a predator, you know, for, for men. And, uh, I, I can tell you, Alfred de Musset was with her uh, from 1833 till 1835, if I'm not mistaken. And so they go on holidays together to to to, to Venice. And in Venice, uh, he feel uh, he doesn't feel well. The doctor comes to see him, and she leaves him for the doctor who came to see him. I mean, and then 1835, she meets she meets. Uh, Chopin in 1836 and in 1837. Chopin didn't like her. He didn't like her. He said, oh, my word, an antipathetic woman. What, what, you know, not very nice person. And I, I'm not even sure she's a woman. You know, that's, that, that's Chopin. I'm quoting him. But then they stayed together for 10 years. And I think he had a very, very balanced life. It's the time he had the most, most balanced life. I think she was a, she was a remarkable lady. And she took care of him. She took care he of him. He was a weak uh, uh, health, a weak health, nature. Health-wise, yeah. He was a sweet man. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to leave it at that. I was trying to avoid talking about Georges Saint, uh, you know, because that's what happens. It was a pleasure talking with you, Jean-Jacques, again. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure talking much. to you. <laughs> we'll meet again. Thank of you. Of course.
I hope you enjoyed today's podcast on Chopin and his first piano concerto. Please do send us your comments and questions to nacpodcasts at gmail.com. Remember that you can find this and other podcasts from all departments of the National Arts Center at www.nacpodcasts.ca. You'll find there are past chapters as well as links and instructions if you wish to subscribe to any series. Do try our sister podcast called NACOcast, hosted by Christopher Millard, our principal bassoonist in the orchestra. You can also obtain these free podcasts under the heading Explore the Symphony in the iTunes Music Store. This is Marjolaine Fournier from Canada's National Arts Centre. For the new media team and Jean-Jacques Van Vlasla at the NAC, thank you for listening and please visit us again soon.